0: Well, hey, let's head back to Lamentations and pick up where we lofted off a couple of weeks ago. You're just joining us. Uh, We are in a verse-by-verse look at the book of Lamentations. And we find ourselves in chapter 3 today. Uh, Just by way of review, um, because I know this is uh, maybe new for some of you, or, um, you know, we we recognize that uh, Jeremiah wrote uh, a history, um, the prophet Jeremiah wrote a history by the same name, Jeremiah, recounting his prophetic ministry over four decades to the nation of Judah in the wake of disobedience and and challenge. And, um, you know, you just... uh, when we come to a book like Lamentations, you, you can't just open the book and start reading. And like many times when we open the Bible, it helps us to take a moment and just prayerfully put our mind in the framework of the writer. And and, and we should do that from the standpoint of the reader as well. If we, if we can, so to speak, put ourselves in Jeremiah's sandals here as he writes this poem of lament this funeral song Uh, if you've ever been to a funeral and you can remember back to the the somberness the the uh, the emotion the grief the difficulty that's where our prophet is and of course he's not lamenting so much over the death of a loved one although many many thousands of people will die in the wake of what's happening but he's really lamenting the um, the death so to speak of the city of jerusalem This is Zion. This is Jerusalem. This is uh, the the city that was promised and uh, was the center point for all things uh, worshipful and and religious for the nation of Israel. And uh, obviously the the city was actually destroyed. The temple was actually destroyed. The walls were actually destroyed. People died. People carried back to Babylon. But but I think a a lot of uh, what... The folks here are feeling is is sort of the, the symbolic reality of what 's going on too this is god 's city, and to see it taken by a foreign people communicates something of the extent of god 's disciplinary action against the nation of judah This is no small thing and uh, and you can imagine. Um, As we've read lamentation, the emotion, the the grief, the struggle, especially recognizing, and we'll see this as the uh, poem unfolds, but especially realizing that what they're seeing in terms of destruction and death is, in one sense, the product of their own doing this is not some random attack by a foreign people this is something god has been telling them will happen if they don't turn from their idolatry and so the 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 somberness the guilt the shame the regret that is probably going on uh, at least with some of the readers here is no doubt very significant so um, that 's what 's going on as we come to Lamentations Chapter Three today. The first two chapters are largely about the the grief and sorrow and realities, the horrors of what 's happened as Babylon has breached the wall and is killing and destroying all around. We come to chapter three and and we 've looked at, as there 's kind of a, a turning point here uh, of the five chapters represented uh, in the book of Lamentations here. Um, three of them start with the word how how can this happen how can this be what's going on and we've seen that in chapter 1 how we've seen it in chapter 2 how and then when we turn to chapter 3 this new stanza all of a sudden that repetition breaks and we see the word I this is a um, uh, the narrator's way of saying, I'm turning from what's going on and the shock of that to now personally how our author is dealing with the subject. And as we've seen, uh, Jeremiah, as the city is struggling, even though he's the prophet, he's not immune from the struggles and realities of what's going on in the nation as well. Um, so uh, his lament is largely about the nation. He personally lived through the horrible times, so he's going to turn and talk about that. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, actually we we spent two weeks on this, we, we looked at the realities of what we might call spiritual depression, uh, that Jeremiah, as he struggles to deal with the realities of his own ministry, the destruction of his city, the slaughter of his people, and, and what all this means, he... He's he's momentarily distracted, and we don't know how long this went on, but we see that all of a sudden he is struggling to rightly interpret what's going on. And as we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, that struggle to rightly interpret things through the lens of biblical truth has led him into the spiraling darkness of spiritual depression. As we have read these verses, verses 1 to 18 over the last couple of weeks, we see that God in His mind has become a monster. This is a God that has walled Him in, a God that is out to get Him, a God that has made His chain heavy, a God who is like a bear lying in wait to devour Him, a lion ready to pounce on Him, an archer shooting arrows at Him for His destruction. And even when Jeremiah, he says, cries out for prayer, uh, his prayers go unanswered as if God doesn't care and isn't listening. And so he concludes at the end of our section, verse 17, my soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. Verse 18, so I say my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. And, And we see... Uh, this, this man of God, this faithful man of God, this mature believer, this, this faithful prophet in the throes of despair and darkness and difficulty. And we've talked about uh, in our subsequent looks at this passage about how depression develops and some ways that we can learn from Jeremiah's experience. Uh, but now we get to see how does God meet us in the darkness? You guys know that, right? Just because you can't feel God in the darkness doesn't mean He's not there. And in fact, what this uh, poem is going to show us, as the Psalms show us, as other writers in Scripture have shown us, is that God does some of His best work in our darkness. And I want to show you how God meets us and ministers to us and even rescues us from difficult moments like we see here. Okay? So let's try to answer that question. How does God rescue us in spiritual depression? So let's look. Let's just read the section, and then I'll try to draw out some particulars here. So let's pick it up in chapter 3, verse 19. So remember, he's just, his conclusion, 18, my strength has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Verse 19, remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. And this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Like a lot of the Psalms, guys, like a lot of poetry in the Bible, there's a hinge. You know what a hinge is, right? You, know, you open the door, the hinge are, are those brackets that connect your door to the door frame there, right? And the door turns on those hinges. Poetry in the Bible often has hinges as well. There's a turning point. There's a place in the poem where things dramatically change, often from very difficult and bleak and struggling uh, moments to hope and encouragement and a moving in a better direction. And so as you read the Psalms and the prophets and, and other poems in the Bible, look for the hinges. Because those hinges are crucial. Those hinges are what you and I need to see in the moment of our difficulty. And what we just stumbled upon here in verses 19 and 20 is a hinge. Okay, look back at it. Remember my affliction, right? Surely my soul remembers is bound down within me. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. We say, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. You just said a couple verses back you had lost hope. You have given up hope. Your strength has perished, right? Uh, You've forgotten how to be happy. And then something happens and Jeremiah says, my hope just came back. And that's important that we recognize how that works. How do you regain hope when you lose it? Okay, and we'll talk about that. I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm so excited to preach the word here. Let's keep reading, Keith. Okay, verse 22. What did he remember? What did he recall to mind? How about this? Verse 22. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the person who seeks Him. It is good that He waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and be silent since he has laid it on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. Perhaps there is hope. Let him give his cheek to the smiter. Let him be filled with reproach. For the Lord will not reject forever. For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness. For he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men to crush under his feet all the prisoners of the land, to deprive a man of justice in the presence of the Most High, to defraud a man in his lawsuit, of these things the Lord does not approve. Let's just stop right there. Um, Don't you want to know what did he remember that turned this around? You know, that, that just... Just reading that, this I remember, right? Surely, verse 20, my soul remembers. This I recall. That helps us to see that the way God often rescues us in depression, this this is so profound, guys, is through a mental activity. A mental activity. Um, God meets us. Often in the throes of difficulty and the challenges of the darkness by allowing us, helping us to remember things. And this is why throughout Jeremiah's ministry, like most of the prophet's ministry, like the psalm we just read, the Bible is often telling us as believers, bring God's word into your soul. Put it in your mind, meditate on it, memorize it, recount it, rehearse it, sing it, pray it, hear it, talk about it to one another. Why? Because that word is what rescues you when God's kindness allows us to bring it to mind in the midst of difficulty. Um, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Keith, this is the part where we need to be reading our Bibles more, right? And you're right. And we can't, see, this is where you realize 40 years of preaching the word of God was not in vain for Jeremiah, even though from an outward sense he failed, right? No one repented. Because that word that nourished him for four decades is the word that rescues him in this difficulty. Do you see that? Okay, so let's pick this up here. Uh, First of all, actively remember God's never-changing character, right? Actively remember God's never-changing character. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. What's the bowed down? The the bowed down is saying, I remember things about God. I remember things about his character. But, But the bowing down is significant. Chances are, in your depression, you may have... Well-meaning believers, you may have sermons, you may have songs, you may be remembering the Word of God itself. The question is, will your soul submit to it? Do you see the difference? The Word of God can't help you if you're fighting it. The Word of God helps you when you receive it and submit to it. When you and I, in the throes of difficulty, say, I am going to believe what God says rather than what my emotion says. That's the submission here that's needed. Uh, One way that we go from darkness to light, from hopelessness to hope again, from sorrow and grief to contentedness and joy is when we are willing to submit our hearts to what we know the Word of God tells us, especially about the character of God. Now, notice how that contrasts with how he's been thinking about God all throughout the chapter thus far. Right, He's misinterpreting God. He's letting his emotion retool God into this you know, grotesque image of a, a cosmic deity that's out to get him and destroy him. And when his soul begins to submit instead to the Word of God, not listening to his emotion, then good things start to happen. Do you see that? So it's not just recalling the Word of God. Yes, you need to recall the Word of God, but then you need to ask for grace so that your heart would submit to what you know make sense okay there's there's such good stuff here guys we we could spend hours and hours and hours and uh... i'll try to just point out the highlights here okay um... and is bowed down within me this i recall to mind therefore i have hope now and what does he remember the character of god look at this twenty two the lord's loving kindness indeed never cease his compassions never fail they are new every morning great is your faithfulness there are three attributes of god there that jeremiah recalls what are they Loving kindness. What's that? Yeah, yeah. the The word means something like loyal love, steadfast kindness. Right. It, it, it's it's God's grace and kindness and love, JB welded to his loyalty and his faithfulness and his steadfastness. It's like yes, God's kind. Yes, God's loving. Y- yes, He's gracious. And I know He will never fail to do so, to be so. That's His loyal love, His loving kindness, as it's translated here in the NASB. And what does it say? That will, that Lord, Lord's loving kindness, indeed, never what? It doesn't cease. There's no off switch. There's no expiration date. There's no circumstance that you and I go through where God fails to be loyal in His grace and love toward us, faithful to help us in that. And that you have to remember that. You have to recall that. You have to submit your heart to that when it feels like something else when your emotion says God isn't there for you, He doesn't love you, He doesn't care, He isn't helping, just look. Look at the mess. See? God doesn't care. That's when you and I submit our heart to the reality that God's loving kindness not only doesn't ever fail, it can't ever fail it is impossible for God to act contrary to the character that He reveals Himself to be. Okay? We didn't remember that. Uh, you know, the hymn, the right? Friends may fail me, foes assail me, right? But He, He is the one that will always be faithful and reliable. What, what's the second attribute you see there? His compassions. What, what are those? yeah his mercies his kindnesses the the, the word means something like god 's um uh, we 'd say his his feeling for us his pitying of us his it's it 's the idea that God sees us struggling and he 's inclined to help us you know i don 't know about you, but when my mouth and heart utter the sort of things that Jeremiah has been uttering in the last 18 verses that are blasphemous, accusatory, critical, um, faithless, you know, when you and I are exemplifying that sort of character, we wonder, what does God think of that? How is he disposed to respond when we're acting like this? And what Jeremiah says is, what helped me is to remember that when God sees us struggling, even with faithless, critical, misguided, blasphemous, accusatory thoughts toward God, his response is, mercy and compassion. And rather than saying, oh, well, if that's how you're going to talk about me, God moves toward us in pity and in care. Now, a footnote. that Don't take that to mean what Jeremiah was doing was okay. It's not okay to talk about God, to think about God, to say those things to God, right? but the beauty of what we just read is the manner in which god is going to go about correcting that we, we we don't have the lightning bolt from heaven approach we have god moving near in pity and compassion with an inclination to help saying let me let me help move you in a better direction do you see that now how often is God inclined to respond like that? Like, is this like a special pass? Like, you know, he pulled the gold ticket out of the box and, okay, we get compassion this time. Yay! Instead of wrath. What does it say? His compassions never fail. That's always the way God responds. And again, that, that's not a license to justify what Jeremiah has been doing it's a reminder that we have a Heavenly Father who extends mercy and extends mercy and extends mercy and extends mercy even on our worst day, even when it's not a day. Maybe it's a season. And when we come to Him, we receive, as the writer to Hebrews tells us, grace and mercy to help uh, for our need. So his loving kindnesses never cease, his compassions never fail. What's the third attribute there? Faithfulness. What's that? What's that? Yeah, he he will always do what he says he's going to do. And and th- this is why this is why knowing your Bible has to be coupled with The attributes that we're thinking about here. Because if you say, I know God's loyal, I know he's faithful to do, what is he going to do again? Yes, he's faithful. Yes, he's loyal. Yes, he's going to do what he says he's going to do. But you know what? You and I have to know our Bibles well enough to know what he said he's going to do. Right? We've, we've gotta know our God and know His promises and know His Word so that in the moment that we're reminded, yes, He's faithful, yes, He's loyal, He's gonna, He's gonna come through, we need to know what He says He's gonna come through about. Well, just, just think about this for a minute. What are some things, uh, again, we're, we're gonna use a, a sanctified imagination here. What are some things that Jeremiah knew about God that might have helped him? in this moment to remember anything that comes to mind what do you think yeah he rescued israel out of egypt right that was often the image that the prophets looked back to right and and recounted that god was god rescued his people from the egyptians Uh, he's faithful to do that and and we can remember he can help us again today yeah okay yes yeah, saved him from death. From Jeremiah personally, saved him from death multiple times. That's right. What else? Yeah, huh? Hans? He made the promise with Abraham, right? And part of, you know, it's interesting. And I wish um, maybe we'll do this next time. But one of the one of the neatest things to do, and uh, I don't know what your Bible reading plan is this year or, or where you're reading. I hope you are reading. Um, but when you read through the book of Jeremiah here 's a great way to read through Jeremiah. Read through Jeremiah looking for the attributes of God and the promises of God that sort of are, are the are the background and momentum of this verse I, I think of a passage like you know jeremiah thirty one where Jeremiah recounts the beauty of God's new covenant, where he will forgive, he will restore, and even throughout the letter. Remember, God goes to Jeremiah and says, "Um, I I want you to sign up for this prophet job. And by the way, no one's going to listen to you. What do you think? And he says, yes. Yes. And one of the ways that God bolstered Jeremiah's faith throughout his decades-long ministry is even in the midst of, like, judgment, discipline, judgment, discipline, judgment, you better repent. I mean, that, that's his message, right? Sprinkled in all of that is this reminder to the Israelites, God's going to do this, you need to repent, God's going to discipline, you're going to repent. But God always has a remnant. He always has people that are trusting him. And one day this Messiah, that this promised redeemer, we see it in Jeremiah, we see it in the other prophets that this Messiah will come and the Messiah will be the one to finally rescue people, to inaugurate and and bring in this new covenant, this new dispensation, this new uh This new program where God will redeem his people, giving them a new heart, giving them his own spirit, and drawing them to himself in that way. And so it's those sorts of things that are loaded up, hopefully, in Jeremiah's mind here when he says, Great is your faithfulness. Faithful to keep that remnant, faithful to his promises, faithful to not give up on his people, faithful that the Messiah is coming, faithful to forgive, faithful to the new covenant. Um, faithful to be and, and do what God has said. And, and notice the 23, um, His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Isn't that beautiful? That's, that's why someone wrote a song on it, right? It, it's, um, no matter how bad the day ends, you wake up to new mercy. No matter how difficult the trial is, how difficult your night was, you wake up to never failing compassions again. And he says, great is your faithfulness. That's where the hymn comes from. So what are we learning? How does God rescue us in the midst of the darkness of depression? He rescues us by causing us Encouraging us, reminding us to recall to mind the character and promises of God, um, His never changing character. Notice the emphasis on the fact that yes, this is who God is, but He doesn't change. Right? Did you catch that? They don't cease. They never fail. They're new every morning. Right? That's the emphasis. Um, so, so here, just just a real practical thing. When you and I are struggling, how are we going to remind ourselves of the character of God and His promises that will never fail us? How are we going to do that? Um, yeah. Jude, you got an idea? Read the, Bible and pray. Read the Bible and pray. Hey, our young theologian just hit the grand slam, didn't he? Um, it's not rocket surgery, as our friend David Gibson says, right? it's it's the normal means of grace it's walk humbly with your god how about this make a playlist make a playlist called when my soul is in the darkness and turn it on and let sanctified music recall to your mind the character and promises of god when you're having trouble seeing them or do something similar in a journal you could journal out verses like that. Yeah, Becca. I've highlighted in a color in my digital Bible, yeah. in pink, all the promises when I come across them yeah. as I'm reading them. And so when I'm struggling, I just go, if anything that's yeah. highlighted in pink, show me all the things. Yeah, that's right. And I just can read hundreds of promises of God. Yeah, that's a great idea. So highlight in digital or paper format with a specific color. You know, despair means run to pink, right? And, and that's great. That's, that's good. Other ideas? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Thanksgiving list writing down things you're thankful for. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. What what depression does, d- depression brings your world very small and, and it causes us uh, a bit of spiritual myopia I guess nearsightedness where you, you can't see out there all you see is here and then you couple that with the fact that you're withdrawing from relationships you're pulling in and so one of the ways you help somebody and we can help ourselves with this is something like that a, thank, a thankfulness list where I'm forcing myself to stop looking here and to start looking out here and to recount things that God is doing that I can be thankful for so that's really good Okay, so, so you see how this works? Uh, yes, David. I was going to say, just actively remembering that the trouble and suffering is actually an integral part of the gracious plan. Yeah. It's not an indication that the plan is faith. Yeah, yeah that's good. And, and man, if any book in the Bible shows us that, Jeremiah shows us that, doesn't it? That, um, and, and I'm, We're going to talk about resiliency in, in big church in a moment and that's one of the that's one of the principles is to see that the trials are not an indicator that God's plan is failing they're actually a part of the plan for our our growth and and encouragement so yeah that's good that's good it goes back to how we're interpreting as we saw in the first part okay so actively remember God's never-changing character and, and do this I mean if you're in the midst of something Here you go, right? If you're not in the midst of something, force yourself to develop a protocol or a way that you're going to deal with this. Darkness will hit all of us at some point. It may not look the same for every person. It may not feel the same. Uh, You may say, I've never been depressed a day in my life. And then you've got your buddy over here who deals with it on a weekly basis. Okay, we're all different. But we're all going to face difficult things and we need the provisions of God when that comes. And as a footnote, if this can happen to the prophet of God, it can happen to any of us. So so let's not not believe just because I've never been there that I never won't be there. Um, Even if you're an optimist of sorts, you know, um, things can change. Okay, let's look at a second way that God rescues us. I love this. The Psalms do this. The prophets do this. You've heard me point this out. Probably every other time I've preached, but I just, it's all over the Bible and I'm just, I'm a very simple preacher, right? I just tell you what the Bible says. So here it is again. Engage God by talking to Him, not just about Him. Talk to Him, not just about Him. What's interesting, as we look back at the first 18 verses, Jeremiah is talking and God is in his thoughts in terms of his conversation but the difference is what? What's going on in verse, verses 1 to 18 there? He's yeah, he's talking about him. He's talking about God in the third person, right? He has caused my flesh. He has driven me away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged me. He has made me dwell, right? He has walled me in. He, 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 he. It's all third person. It, it's I'm here and I'm talking about that guy over there. And what we see in the prophets, we see it here, we see it in the Psalms, is that usually talking about God leads us further away from God, especially in a difficulty. What moves us toward God is when we start, we stop talking about Him and we start talking, talking to Him. Look at how this works here. Uh, verse 23, They are new every morning, great... Is, what's the next word? Your faithfulness. What's that? That's second person, right? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I know you know. Yeah, this is not grammar class, but here we go. So, yeah, I'm talking about God, God's doing this, God's doing that, and then what do we see? Great is your faithfulness. He's engaging God directly. And you say, oh, that's just a poetic device, just, you know, poetic variants and whatnot. No, 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 no. That is, crucially, theologically, exegetically, spiritually significant. Because really, really, really amazing things happen spiritually when we stop talking about God and start engaging Him directly. Um, Now, why is that hard in depression? It's hard in depression because if you believe What your emotions are actually telling you about God, you're not going to want to talk to Him. And this is one of those catch 22s, one of these spiritual paradoxes in in sadness and grief and depression. It's like, you know, you need to go to God, but you don't want to go to God. You ever had that? Anyone honest enough to nod your head and say, I've had that before? I know I need to go to God, but I don't want to. And one of the reasons we don't want to is because who he is is dangerous. Or who he is is somebody that we're angry at. Or who he is is somebody that our emotions have so twisted his character around that he's the enemy, he's not the rescuer. Do, do you see? And and that's why, again, call me Commander Obvious here, that's why verses 21 22 and 23 come before this point. It takes the Word of God to correct our thinking about Him before we're gonna wanna go to Him. Does that make sense? And, and so, See the wisdom of what this psalm is showing us. If you're caring, let's say you're caring for somebody. you got some family member, a friend, and you're praying for them. You're walking alongside them in some difficulty. And they're angry at God, and they're discouraged at God, and they think God's out to get them. And um, I- I'm not telling them it's wrong if you were to tell them, hey, you need to turn to God for help. Because, you know, take take your problems to God. Take your questions to God. We see that illustrated there. But can I suggest a different strategy? If you keep pushing on that door, you're probably going to frustrate them more because they don't want to go to God because their view of God is so skewed. He's not somebody they see as a rescue or there's somebody, there's somebody that, that he sees as an enemy, as a threat. So what you need to do in caring for them, help them to evaluate how they're thinking about God in light of what Scripture says. Help them to better see first that the God in their own mind is a skewed caricature of their fallenness, not the true God of Scripture. Does that make sense? And then help them with that. And and as you're helping to sort of re uh, bring their thinking back under the Word of God, then is the time to say, talk to Him, encourage Him, Uh, or not encourage Him, uh, go to Him for encouragement, right? Ask for Him. And um, we should do a whole other uh, time sometime on, on being angry with God because I don't know that any of us would want to put up our hand up in a Sunday school potluck and say, oh, yeah, I've been angry with God this week, right? But the reality is we all have and, and we all do at times. And um, so one of the ways we deal with that, I think, is is illustrated here that we need to bring our heart under submission to the Word of God and that would necessitate repentance and then that will ready the way for us to turn to God. But the point is we need to stop talking about God and start talking to him and move toward him in depression we withdraw we move away from relationships we isolate and one of the ways we get out of it is not just reconnecting with relationships that are helpful but first and foremost reconnecting with God and, and going to him and and whatnot okay so engage God by talking to him not just about him let's do one more here claim God himself as your most prized possession claim God himself As your most prized possession. Look at verse 24. The Lord is my portion. Don't you feel encouraged? No, you don't, because that doesn't make any sense to us, right? When Jeremiah says, The Lord, Yahweh, is my portion, what does that mean? Yes. Go ahead, Aiden. He is enough. Yeah, Jude. What were you going to add to that? Okay, that's okay. Um, someone, up someone else. Yeah. He's everything I said. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Josh, you have a thought? Is it in reference to the portion, uh, manna? Yeah. 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 So, um, and and portion. It was in that season. It it was. Yeah. I guess it started with the manna, and then really manifests itself when uh, Israel divides up the land. Right. And, and it's neat. Some of you are saying, like, what's the effect of the imagery here? And others of you are telling me that the imagery. So let's talk about both of that, okay? So portion was the idea that when Israel came in to possess the land, God said, hey, I'm going to allot the land up, uh, each, each, each family, right? And then we get to the Levites. The priestly class. And do you remember what did Moses tell the Levites? No land for you. Now, at first glance, you'd be like, that's not fair. We're we're the guys that do all that. What do you mean no land? And then God says, yes, for the Lord, Yahweh, will be your portion. And that, that idea that the Lord... And by portion, it's the portion of the land. It's your inheritance. And that culture, that land was their inheritance. It was their livelihood. It's where they grew their crops. It's where they would pass on to their children, right? It was their livelihood, their inheritance. That's what it represented. So by saying the Lord is your portion, what what the Bible is saying is the Lord himself is your security. The Lord himself is your sustenance. The Lord himself is your retirement plan so to speak the lord himself is your inheritance and you you might at first glance say well why don't we get real estate too i don't we? and then you say wait a minute if i have god i have everything because every good and perfect gift comes from above right so that and and so that little section way back in in the um the the law books became something of a metaphor. And as we move into the Psalms and move into the prophets, you'll often hear them saying, the Lord is my portion, the Lord is my portion. And what they're saying is, and that's what all of you were getting at, God is everything. He's my all in all. He's my life. He's he's my security. He's my provider. He's he's everything I need. And and here's, here's the challenge. What's just happened in Jeremiah's life What's what's just happened? The land's just been invaded. invaded. What else? Yeah, people haven't listened. Dead bodies everywhere, cannibalism going on, children in the streets, carried back to Babylon, the temple's destroyed, and you're seeing this pagan people walking off with the holy utensils of the most holy place, and I guarantee you that Jeremiah is going, what do I have left? This is how my ministry ends? What, bring, what, what can possibly bring hope when you've lost everything that's valuable to you? The one thing you can never lose. That's what he's saying that's what he's saying and and you know what guys let's just just be real Um, people that we love are going to die we're probably going to have health issues and many of us do Um, finances are going to come and go pleasant circumstances are going to come and go Um, hardship will happen grief is in our future we know that. And we can either cling on to those things and figure out how we're going to control it. and gra- we, we, we can live life like that and we're just going to go from frustrated to more discouraged to anxious to fearful. Or we can say, what if we wake up every day and remind ourselves that we have the most valuable, precious commodity and we can never lose it. What if we live like that? And then when difficulty comes, it's not that we don't grieve the spouse that dies or the health that we once possessed or the the, the retirement plans that are shambled by the economy. It's not that we don't grieve and, and and struggle, but we say, even in the midst of that loss, I have something infinitely better and I can never lose it. That's what he's saying. You get it? He says the Lord is my per- Yahweh is my portion therefore what does he say Yahweh is my portion says my soul therefore what I have hope in him See guys hope in the Bible is not connected to a certain set of circumstances Hope in the Bible is not, I figured out how to control everything that's important in my life. Hope in the Bible is not about our plans always going our way. Hope in the Bible is about remembering and leaning and rejoicing in the fact that Yahweh is our portion and we can never lose Him. Okay? We'll put a comment in your notes and uh, we'll come back next week and keep going. Bob, thank you that we have you. And that you will never leave us or forsake us. That nothing separates us from the love of Christ. And Father, not, not to diminish relationships or comforts that you've given us that we love and, and that we grieve the loss of. But to remind us that we have you. And if we have you, we have everything. We, we have the most important thing. Uh, Lord, will you remind us of these things on our day of trouble? Will you make us active now to fill our minds with the Word of God, your promises, your character, so that we have something to recall when trouble comes? And we thank you that um, that we can come to you. And that even when it doesn't feel like you're listening, you're there. Even when it seems like You don't love us, You do. And that um, we can rest in knowing that uh, You are our prize, our, our portion, our treasure that will never be taken from us. Lord, might these things change how we handle difficulty. And might we encourage others who are struggling. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.